Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career and life forward. Tribe, please join me in welcoming my incredible guest for today, Kathy Heller. And each week, Kathy encourages thousands and thousands of listeners on her top-rated podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, to find more purpose in their life and to get paid for what they do and love full-time. This resonates so much about everything that I talk about. And Kathy's show has been all over the place. I mean, I can name a hundred different places, millions of downloads. She's been featured by even Apple themselves as a top podcast and her fans love her show. And I think that's something that is so critical to any podcaster is really building a tribe and a community around your show. And we'll talk about all that. And, and I, I would love to get some guidance from Kathy as I'm building the podcast here. And throughout her show, she's interviewed some amazing, amazing people. Earlier today, I listened to Yardley Smith, who... I am 42 years old. Simpsons been out for 31 years. The Simpsons has literally been part of my life every single day. I love the yes. Simpsons. I love that episode. Other amazing people, <laughs> Jenna Fisher from the office fame, Seth Godin, if you're in marketing, uh, Jonathan Adler, Bobby Brown. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, really top, top A-list, Barbara Corcoran, Howard Schultz from Starbucks, and the list goes on and on. Uh, Kathy's book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, was released in November. We'll talk about that. And it's filled with inspirational stories from people with heard in her own tribe who have decided to take control of their life journey. And Kathy often says, purpose is the opposite of depression. And he is, she is truly lifting others to be the happiest versions of themselves. I know it's long-winded. I know Kathy would say, Adam, you need to record this. Not live. No, I'm kidding there. And we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Kathy Heller, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. What a cool intro. I'm going to just take you with me wherever I go as I walk in to get a bagel, as I walk in to pick up my kids from school, just have Adam talk about all my accomplishments, make me feel I like I'm 20 feet tall. Yeah, my hype man. That's what I need. Yeah. And, and, and if you were here in New York, we, I mean, it's, we're in the age of the, the coronavirus and hopefully by the time this episode airs, it'll be a moot point and we got past it. Yeah. We're fine. But if I was there with you, there'd be a marching band, like a six piece marching band. We'd have smoke machines and lasers and we'd intro it. So yes. I know. And so, you know what? I'm going to make a promise right now. We are not going to talk about the virus. We already talked about it because I am putting good energy out there that by the time that this show airs, it's over and done with. We're back to reality. Anybody that was affected, hopefully they, they've been able to bounce back and, and move forward on that. So my tribe may not know you. Um, I'd love to hear the Kathy Heller elevator pitch. Tell us who you are <laughs> and what you do best, Kathy Heller. Yeah, I live in Los Angeles. I have three kids. I run a multi-million dollar business doing things I love, which feels so surreal and so awesome. It's great. Um, and basically, ever since I've been able to do anything that I love and make a living, I've been trying to help other people to do the same thing. Uh, my husband says I'm famous for like us being in an Uber or going to a party and nonstop for the last like two decades. I'm like, what do you do? What do you want to do? What do you, what do you feel you came to the world to do? Why don't you do that? He's like, you've always been encouraging people to do stuff like that. And now I literally do that for a living. But um, essentially I came out to LA almost 17 years ago. I was wanting to get a record deal. I thought the only way to be in the music business was to be Beyonce, Cheryl Crow, Taylor Swift. 
And um, as it turns out, they don't just give those out on the on the street corners. No, but they don't. I wor- they don't. Isn't yeah. that what everyone comes to LA for, right? To yeah. get the handout? Yeah, exactly. Yep. The streets are paved with gold. So what wound up happening is I got a job job and I worked on the side to make mediocre songs. And then the songs got a little better. And then I finally got a record deal. Um, I got signed to Interscope. I was actually with Lady Gaga the night she recorded Paparazzi. I got to be in the studio. Yeah. And uh, she was so talented. And there was a part of me that was like, I'm going to get dropped from this label. Like she's an Olympic athlete. Like there are certain levels of talent. (laughs) And I I have a nice voice, you know, like I was the kid in in camp who got the lead, you know, but I felt like it was not really going to last. And sure enough, a few months later, I was driving on the 10 freeway, which is where you spend most of your time in LA. And um, I pulled over because I got a call from Ron Fair and he said, can you pull off the highway and can we talk? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm sure this is great news. And he said, Jimmy Iovine is going to, we're going to drop you, but we really do like you. And I know, he's like, I know you're going to do something great. I just don't know what it is. Anyway, um, at that point, Adam, I felt like, you know, the scene in the movie where like the music stops and like you can't really hear and you're just yeah. like freeze frame. Wah, wah, wah. Right. I was like, what the hell? Like I was right there, you know, and I didn't have the perspective I, I have now of hindsight. So I thought, oh, this is the moment that everyone told me would happen where I had to give up on my dream, quote unquote, be an adult, quote unquote, grow up, quote unquote, responsibility, you know, get a real okay. job. So um, I went and got real jobs and I hated every single one of those real jobs. I worked Wasn't your at, calling. Yeah. yeah, I worked in a casting office because a friend was like, I'm working on the Ghost Whisperer pilot. Why don't you do that? I'm like, what's that? She's like, oh, it's Jennifer Love Hewitt. I hated casting. That wasn't my thing. Then a friend of mine said, if you're just going to work and you're not going to do something you love, you should make money. Like a lot of it. I'm like, well, how do you, yeah. So I'm like, how do you do that? She's like, you you do real estate. And I was like, oh, great real estate. So she knew this guy in Brentwood who owned commercial properties, like hundred million dollar shopping centers. And she's like, yeah, you work from commercial real estate. You'll make a ton of money. So I'm working for this guy and I'm making, I'm making like 150 grand and I'm 25. So it's actually a lot of money for me. And I have this like cute apartment. I'm eating good sushi every night. And I'm like, great. Living it up in LA. Yeah. And then like two years goes by and now I'm 27. And I look in the mirror and I don't know who the hell I am. And I'm like, I feel miserable. Like I feel literally depressed. I now have some money and I don't have any of the things I actually want. (laughs) Um, And I felt like, what the hell is this life? Like, I don't even understand. I'm checking the boxes, right? Like I can buy myself a car. I can afford to live in this cute little apartment in Beverly Hills with the anthropology sofa that I could buy for myself, right? And I was really unhappy. And I realized, Adam, that success without fulfillment is the ultimate feeling of failure. Because you're like, I have success. I get, I mean, for 27 years old to be making close to $200,000, you're, you're fine. Like you can really live nicely. And yet I was not fine at all. I, who was I kidding? So I quit my job, which I don't really recommend people do that. Now I tell people build a side hustle, build a runway. It's so much more effective and yeah, there's so we'll many great to ways that. to do mm-hmm. that. But I quit. I was just like, I got to get out of here. So I quit and I started to ask myself the million dollar question, which is, is there any other way I can do what I love, right? Like the, the only paradigm I knew was either you become a celebrity 
or you're miserable and you work for someone else. Those were the two paths, right? And this is before Insta famous, right? This is before the yeah, days that, of Insta. There wasn't uh, even Instagram. No, this, you couldn't this even get rich quick on that. 2007. Yeah, this is 2007. Like there the was kids no- were in their diapers. Those Instagram people, they, were in their, they weren't even a twinkle in their parents' eyes, some of them. Yeah, so I was like, I don't know what else to do, but what, that was my next new question. Is there anything else? Is there any other way I can do what I love? And I started to use the Google and I started to find articles about songwriters who were making a great living without the record label because they were licensing their songs to Grey's Anatomy and One Tree Hill and Dawson's Creek. And I was like, what is that? What's a license? What does that mean? Oh, it's the right for this show to use the song. They don't own it. They don't. And I thought, why don't I even try that? Like, obviously I had enough talent that I got a sign. Yeah. Maybe I could write a song. And so I would send these songs and send these songs and people would just like not answer my email or whatever. And so I had to get crafty. Like, how am I going to get them to even like, like I listen, break through. right? Yeah. And I wound up being really, really tenacious as you love that word tenacity. And I would like do things like one time I sent an email. Um, actually, well, no, I'm not going to grab it, but I basically sent this little PDF I made. It was a picture of a cartoon girl playing guitar and a plus sign and a picture of a Starbucks latte. And I wrote on the top mochas and music. And I just dropped these two little images into an email with a plus sign. And I said, step one, what's your favorite Starbucks drink? Step two, I'll drop it by the office and I'll, I'll leave you with some mochas and some music. I'll leave you with some coffee and some songs. I like it. And a bunch of people didn't respond. And a bunch of people said, you know, no. And then there was like 20 or so people who were like, sure, like you could bring me a caramel macchiato. So oh, I yeah. went who into doesn't the, like a free coffee. Who doesn't? So I went in and I learned something huge, Adam, which is that people didn't want to listen to my music, but they wanted me to ask them what they needed. That's what was so interesting. Like I was like, I wrote these songs. I was signed to Interscope. I actually have a decent voice, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, please stop selling me anything because you don't know me. You don't know what I need. So instead, I learned really quickly to like shut my mouth and ask them about them. And so I would say, what are you working on? What show are you working on? What's the character arc? How are you dealing with the scene with the What's sisters? the vibe of the show? What's the feeling? What's the vibe? And so I started to get the information of like, who are they? What do they need? What problem are they solving? And then I would take little notes. Like I'm like literally like on a scrap. I didn't even have a smartphone at the time. It was like a flip phone. So I would like take little pieces <laughs> of note paper. Oh, you're saying you're doing a story about going home. Oh, you need a song about home? huh. All right. And then I go to the next office. Oh, you're telling me that you have a story about these two sisters and you need something about like count on me or be there for you or by your side. I'm like, scribble, scribble, scribble. Mm -hmm. So I basically learned the greatest business lesson ever, which is don't try to sell people what you have. Just go make what they need and ask them what they need. And then like, you're totally not competing with anyone else because you're literally saying, no, I'm not going to push you to buy something. I'm going to ask you what you need. So, um, I went, Oh, I can write a song. I'm actually a pretty good songwriter. Like I just didn't think to write that song. I was in my own head, which most songwriters were writing songs about breakups and whatever. So Adam, long story, I wrote the home song. I wrote the sister song. And sure enough, they were like, ah, oh, that's awesome. So I started to make no joke. Uh, I started to make a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And what's sitting behind me in my office are these beautiful articles, full page stories. Billboard, Variety, the LA Weekly, the cover of the USA Today music section. It's awesome. All these, it was awesome. It was awesome. I was able to basically, in like the Billboard article, 
I think the title was writing her own check. And then in Variety, it was like, Kathy Heller cracks the code. And basically, I was like, why is this newsworthy? I even asked that to Phil Gallo, the editor of Billboard. Like, he was like, well, is it original? Why, why is this making headlines? Why is this making headlines? And he said, because people don't do this. People don't do this. Either they get the record deal or they feel like there's nothing in between and you don't have an agent. You're literally picking up the phone. You're walking into people's offices. You're grassroots making one relationship at a time. And that was the other big lesson for me, Adam. It wasn't just make the things they need. It was, you don't need a thousand people to love you. You need like six people, six people. Because every time I would license a song to McDonald's or Target, it was $85,000. So I didn't need a thousand. I also, by the way, I didn't have music on Spotify. That wasn't a thing. I wasn't selling records. My whole business was B2B. I had no social footprint, no email list. It was just right. a few people. No fan club. Well, here's the coolest thing. What wound up happening is I did it every single day for a decade. For a decade, rinse and repeat. Wrote music, made phone calls. What do you need? With the song. What do you need? Wrote the song. After a decade, artists started saying to me, uh, excuse me, how the hell do you do that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't have time for that. I don't even know what you're asking me. And then it was, how do you do that? How do you do that? And I was like, what's happening? So basically every time I would get some kind of like article in a paper or a magazine, or I would be asked to speak at some, something I was, I have spoken at so many conferences and colleges and whatever, there'd be like a line of, there'd be literally a line of people after Funny my how panel. That works. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you do that? So then I asked myself, why am I saying no to talking to these people? And I was saying no, because another big lesson is I think as humans, we get really fragile about our identity. So I thought, well, I'm either an artist or I'm like a weird, like, what am I? Like, you're I'm putting like a, yourself into a category and you're siloing like yourself. Right. Like, what is that? Ew, I don't want to be like, my coat. Yeah. Ew. Like I'm an I'm artist. I'm a songwriter. I don't want to. Yeah. Like I have a voice. Like I sing and play ukulele and guitar. Like I'm, I'm too cool for that. Like I was like in my own way. And then more and more artists would get, send me these beautiful emails. Can I bring you a coffee? Can I, and I was like, I have a resistance issue here, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I, I was having a meeting with this, with this woman um, at Paradigm, this talent agency. And we were just having coffee. And she said, you know what makes people really successful? I said, what? And she said, multi hyphenate. She said, look at the people who are really successful. They're not just writing the show. They're producing the show. They're not just, you know, the, the comedian. They're also working on somebody else's, putting together their other comedy tour. Like, you're not just waiting for opportunities and doing one thing. You're saying, exactly. what are all the gifts I have? How can I be of use? So I said, you know what? I'm just going to say yes. I don't know what the hell it looks like. I'm just going to say yes. So I started hosting some workshops, which I called- The mindset shift there. Yeah, it was you a had big that epiphany. Shift. You had that mindset shift. There was that moment when you took yourself out of your silo and you said, you know what? But there's a big point there too, just to pause for a second there. It's not so much that you were a no person, right? That you weren't like a saying no person. You were just, you, you were blocked. You weren't blocked. being receptive and open and you had that moment. No. And, and, and what happened once you opened that yourself up? To well, it's world, insane. Right? I started on a whim. I started this course. At first it was like nothing. It was people literally meeting in my living room. I brought like 10 songwriters once my old house to my living room on a Sunday. Then I did it again. Then I, I did it in a theater. I rented a theater for $200. 
And then I thought to myself, well, maybe I should do this. And somebody said, why don't you start it online? Why don't you create a course online? I didn't know anything about courses or webinars or whatever. Anyway, I started a course called Six Figure Songwriting, which was my life, making six figures, licensing music to film and TV. And that course wound up making $2 million a year. Now it makes three to $4 million a year. There you go. And I was like, oh my God. And then I started pitching other artists' music. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, now, but what, here's what, here's the craziest part. My own opportunities as an artist, uh, quadrupled, not, it wasn't the opposite. It was, um, not only was I now doing other things, yes. And, but I got more work as an artist because what wound up happening is the people who I was pitching to said, that's so cool. Look how resourceful you're being. And then I was standing out and my reputation was growing and Kathy Heller is really helping us to understand you and what you need. And they would say to me, you're really helping change the industry because instead of these artists, and I have to say something that I think everyone listening could relate to. The other paradigm shift that they were respecting me for is that up until I had been doing it for a decade, Adam, for the first four, five, six, seven years, people were saying to me, you're such a sellout you're writing music based on what people ask you to write. You should just write your own songs and screw them. And I would never, as an artist, I would never want to ask someone what they need and go write it. And I realized that the industry looked at me and they were like, thank God someone has the humility to understand what really art is. And this is when I realized Michelangelo himself was commissioned to paint the Sistine Chapel. He was commissioned to create the David. Mozart was commissioned to create all those symphonies. So what we believe is I'm just going to work for myself and people either like it or they don't. A, that's not a business. I don't know what that is, but a business is empathy. A business is empathy because a business means someone else wants it. A business means it's not a hobby where it's all about me. It's all about you. And Art, real art, and we, you mentioned it in your intro that I say this, that the opposite of depression is not happiness, but purpose. If it's really art, it means I get to use my gift to make something that you love. And we love it, both of us, not just it's all about me and I'm in my, it's for everyone. So, and by the way, I did say that I was with Lady Gaga the night she was recording paparazzi, which is true. And I want you to know that at the label, at that level, they totally care what the audience wants, what will be a single. All they were asking me in those meetings are, who would you open for? Who already has your audience? What, what song would actually work? In order for me to make my record, they said there'd be 11 songs and they wanted me to write 40 songs of which they would then choose the best. So on what, planet, on what planet is it like, oh, I don't care what people want. Fine, then that's not a business. And you should just go have that as a hobby. And if it's, if it's going to make you money, it's because someone else is paying you their money, which means they need it and they want it. And it's actually- They need it for something. It's a gift. It's a pleasure to get paid to do something you would do for free, right? And then to think, how would I tell that story? Or how would I use, like when Michelangelo is painting the Sistine Chapel, which is so gorgeous. I've been to the Vatican, like even as a Jewish girl, like you can appreciate. Yeah, it's I love so, it. It's amazing, right? And there's nothing that's not like completely artistic about it. But they said to him, you need to use this paint 
And we want you to paint the first few chapters of the Bible, right? We're telling you what to yeah, paint. He didn't, come, he didn't come up with that on his own. He was given direction. He was commissioned. He was paid for it. Yes, he loves to paint. I'm sure he loves to paint. I'm assuming that Michelangelo loves to paint. Right, he was using But someone paid gift. him because that's what they wanted. He, to your point, he used his gift to create something yeah. that everybody could share. And that's exactly. business. And I mean, not that everybody is gets business. That. Not everyone gets not, that. Not Randy everyone Newman. gets that. Randy Newman wrote all the songs to Toy Story. John Williams, all those incredible compositions. Alan Menken, every Disney movie. Sarah Bareilles wrote the score to Waitress. Does she know what it's like to be an abused wife with a child? She's not married. She doesn't have a child. What? That means she can't write the score? Of course she can, because she can sit with the team, with the playwright, with the, with the director and say, what do you need me to write? Does it make it less her? No. She gets to use her gift to help bring this story to life. So I've learned so much along the way. And then long story short, what wound up happening is one of my students in my songwriting class said, you really should start a podcast because 90% of what you teach is not about songwriting specifically. It's about how as an artist, you can be resourceful. You can make your art a business, not just a hobby. You would know how to sell and how to pitch in a way which is empathetic and customer driven. And she's like, I think every person who has a dream job would love to hear the things that you talk about. So I started a, um, I started a podcast on a, on a whim three years ago. And, uh, and now let's, we're like, yeah, I don't know. We're almost at 15 million downloads. Yeah, that, that, that's crazy. So let's take a step back there. Um, we'll definitely get to the podcast in a minute, but you know, this evolution of coaching and I'm kind of going through a similar journey too, where I'm at a point where people are saying, Adam, I, I really admire where, where you've been and your story and your journey and how you went from like the top to the bottom and now working your way back up. But more importantly, you're doing something that you love that really taps into all your strengths. Could you show me how to do that? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this earlier, there was a couple of points where I was like a little bit hesitant. I'm like, I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to be one of those teachers, but if that's what people want and I have that ability and talent and knowledge, A, why shouldn't I share it? That's being selfish. And B, if I can make a freaking buck or two on it and add that to my hyphenation of, I am not just a recruiter. I'm also a podcaster. I'm also a coach. I'm also doing yeah, all these other business so ventures. Things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a jack of all trades. Um, but one of the key gems that you enable people is to help them find clarity on what they're meant to do. Are there certain questions that you, when you're guiding or coaching somebody to help them find that clarity? Cause listen, you and I are lucky. Like I found my clarity. I had my epiphany. You had your moment, you found your clarity, but so many people are stuck in a rut. And, and we also have to kind of caveat it too. Like, not everybody based on your life situation, your socioeconomic situation could just stop and do whatever they want, but everybody should be able to in this day and age. So how do you pe help people find their clarity? Yeah, it's a really important conversation. I think we, we should all be having this conversation all the time. I would answer it a few different ways. I think that for everyone, they're going to find it in a different way, but here's some tools. Sometimes your pain turns into purpose. That's one. Okay. So there might be things in your life where you know what it's like to feel invisible and you want to make people feel seen. And so you are so good at shining a light on other people. You are so good at creating community so people don't feel alone. Like there are things that come from the fact that you've been through it. So you might want to sit with that for a second and say, what are the things that I've been through that now make me the best candidate to help other people? Not because I'm a PhD, but because I have the empathy. So sometimes your pain is a little bit of a wink towards what you really, really want to do with your life. Right. The second thing could be the opposite. The second thing could be the thing that you just love. 
there could be things in your life that before you went through a lot, because we all have gone through a lot, but there could be things in your life that when you were like four, you just love doing imitations. Like you would just do them. Your parents would put on a camera and you would just like, my sister was like that. She would imitate Carol Burnett. She would imitate Sid Caesar, which is like a four-year-old. Like she just loved it. There are things that we all just did. There are kids who love to paint. There are kids who love to dance. Is there anything in that that could turn into a career? And the question I would ask about that is, what aspect of that could become to begin, everything is a side hustle. What, what aspect of that could become a little baby business right now? And, and, and for that, I would say there, there's been four archetypes that I've seen. I've done almost 300 episodes. As you said, we've gotten to interview Bobby Brown, who's a makeup artist, and Howard Schultz, who created Starbucks, and all these different kinds of human beings. And I've put incredibly them Incredibly successful, incredible people. Yeah. Incredible people, down to earth, cool. And I've put them into four buckets. And I noticed that people are either makers, like they make the candles they do the makeup, they make the, they write the song, right? Maker, or they're a teacher. Sometimes they teach you how to create makeup. Sometimes they're a choreographer. They teach you how to dance. Um, we had Mandy Moron, who's the, um, she's the, she from So You Think You Can Dance. So you think you dance with yep. the stars. Yeah. People love that show. Anyway, so she teaches people dance, right? So there's makers, there's teachers, and then there's investigators. Like you, Adam, are an investigator and part of one of the hats you wear. And investigators like, you know, Joe Rogan's doing that, a lot of that right now. Gretchen Rubin does that. Mark Marin does that. How does Gretchen Rubin investigate? Well, Gretchen Rubin was a person who was pretty unhappy. She was a straight A student, law, all the things, working for the Supreme Court, miserable. And she was like, I want to be happier. I don't know a lot about being happy, but I want to be happy and I want to investigate happiness. So she went on a journey to find out more about happiness and wrote a book about it and started a podcast about it and started speaking about it. And it wasn't because she was like the Harvard degree in positive psychology girl. It was that she was wanting to investigate that topic and take people along with her who also were curious. That could be a business. Just wanting to dissect something and creating panel discussions and podcasts and blogging around it. Oh my God, that in of itself can be a business. It's inquisitivity. Like you, it's having that inquisition mindset, right? Like yeah. you want to learn, you're curious about things and how do you parlay that into take that passion and turn that into a business. So that's the third yeah. one. What's the fourth that's one? That's the third one. So investigator, right, is my is that one. And then the last one's a curator. Some people, you want to shine a light on what other people do, right? That's where you're strong. So some people would say, like you, Adam, you're really good at finding talent, right? That you're curating talent constantly. A curator would be someone who's like, I personally don't make maple syrup, but I love maple syrup. So I created an entire Instagram feed of all the best small batch maple syrup makers in the world. Do, and do you I actually love maple syrup? Do you love maple syrup? I like it. I don't know if I love it. I like it. Do you love it? I, it's like your hardcore I, I, thing. I, I, no, I wouldn't say I love it. Like I don't drink it by the glass or anything like that. I but like I, it. But I, I do like a, like a couple times a year seasoning. I like the, the true, not the, not the bullshit, the, the maple sugar candies. Oh, I don't get them up in Vermont. Anyway, I I digress. Let's get back to the curator. I just remember in Elf when Will Ferrell is just like chugging. Oh, it's his crack. And it's like breakfast is like (laughs) candy corn and maple. It's awesome. Um, So if you want to be a curator, you might be the person who's like, I love photography, but I feel like where I could really shine is putting together a gallery evening, a pop-up of all these other people who are all female photographers or all photographers who did a whole thing on Brooklyn. This one did Coney Island. This one did Canarsie. Bringing people together to make them shine collectively. 
-hmm. you could curate a group of moms, entrepreneurs, or you could curate a group of people who want to study or, or just be around mindfulness. Ukulele group, ukulele group, whatever. So there, so that's what I see. So I I think there's a few ways to go. It's what are the things that have caused me pain that I really keep coming back to, right? And, and is there a problem that I really want to solve? Could I make a, can I make a world around that? The next question is, is there something I love? Is there something I love that like, I would absolutely love to be around every single day, but which way could I make it into a business? Well, I could make the thing. I could teach the thing. I could curate the thing, or I could investigate the thing. And really now, then the next question is, can you find an example on Instagram? Can you find an example in the world of one person, two people who are doing that thing? And then look at that and go, wow. I'm going to keep checking back and taking a look at what do I like that they do? What do I not like that they do? What do you do? not like? Mm-hmm. What are the holes? Like, what are the gaps here? And then the next thing is, is there anything I could add? Because you don't have to be the Messiah. You right. Just you don't have to be- reinvent the wheel, but how do you make a better wheel? How do you make a different wheel? Like, how like, do you think a, li- a slight just- difference and find that white space and, 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 right. and, and- optimize and, and, and the, maximize. The, right. The thing is, Adam, like there are so many people in this world and there's, there's so much room. I, I know that everybody talks about Gary V and everybody talks about Rachel Hollis. I'm telling you, I meet people in my own family all the time who've never heard of them, who don't know what a podcast is. They'll be like, no. you have a podcast. What is that? Is that Twitter? I'm like, podcast? Last night, last night, my, my um, cousins were visiting from Toronto and they're a little bit older and they're like, so what is that? Does that mean you do social media? And I was like, I you guess do, you do social media Let's as do a podcaster. Like, well, where do you, where do you, is that on the radio? And, so what, I, what I'm saying is there's so much room. Yeah. There are people who don't know who I am, who will never know. I, Seth Godin it's is, is one ab- of my abundance. Life. It's an abundance mindset. It really is. There's just enough room because you don't, when I, let's put it this way. When I started songwriting, okay. For film and TV, I said this before, by the time I had like six clients, I was making multi six figures. Great. When I started my course from just a few hundred songwriters in the world, not a few million, not a few thousand, with no email list and no Instagram, I was turning that into seven figures. So what the hell are we talking about? Like you don't need half the world to have a business and you don't need to make seven figures to be really happy doing something you love. I was that's, really, that's really- That's a key point too. I was really happy making a few hundred thousand dollars a year in, in LA even like we had this cute, which is an expensive city. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were fine. And I loved my life. I felt like I was going to Disneyland every day. People like, what do you do? I'm like, I write songs for McDonald's. Like, and it's amazing. You were able to take your passion and turn it into a business. And, 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 and I think that's what's amazing when you guide people, but there's also guardrails around that too, right? Like you're not telling everybody to quit, like, stop doing what you're doing immediately. I mean, that's no. bad advice. I mean, I even tell people in my job is a, it's always easier. It's a million times easier to find a job when you have a job. And the same thing applies in what you're guiding too, because you can't just drop everything because people get excited. I know my life and I'm very, I'm easily excitable if you can't tell, but people get overly excited about an idea, about something going on in their head and they kind of throw logic and reason out the window sometimes. So you have to be mindful about right. And you have to know guidance. how to build a business, right? And building a business the fundamentals. Means- Yeah. And that's why I love doing it through a side hustle, because in order for you to build a successful business, you have to validate the business. Okay. 
And let's talk about that for a minute. Validating yeah. a business. Is this a real idea that could potentially work? And, the, and exactly. there's, there's a little bit of a, of a blind faith in there too, that you kind of like a little bit of whimsical blind faith that you have to believe in it, but there has to be a fundamental business, like a market need for it. Right. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people, we, we underestimate what we're capable of and we overestimate sort of like, Oh, I, I'm going to need too much in order to make this happen. No, there are people, thousands of them, right. Who've been listening to my show. I wrote about many of them in the book who slowly started to validate a business. And by the time three months came around, they were making an extra $1,500 a month. Then they started saying, well, if I'm already able to sell this many cheesecakes because people do like the cheesecake that I make, how could I sell more cheesecakes? And then it was like, well, instead of going door to door and selling to Jennifer and, and this, this other woman, Kimberly, and this guy, Greg, well, who already has an audience that wants cheesecake? Oh, well, what if I just walked into the local diner and said, do you want to buy 10 cheesecakes scaling, at a time? Scaling, right? my friends, scaling. So my, one of my good friends, Jenny, she just was on Shark Tank. And she, she, in literally less than a year, she went from creating something in her kitchen to making a multi-million dollar business. But it started with like a few people. And then she started going to local stores and she got like 10 customers, but those 10 customers were buying things at scale. And Fanatics. the point is that we can validate these businesses and it doesn't, we don't have to make great the enemy of good. You don't have to make millions of dollars, but think of it this way. There is a market for something, right? Let's say you want to organize people's closets. There's already a market for that. So on the low end, I'm making it up. I don't know. I haven't done the research. Maybe on the low end, it's 75 bucks an hour and the high end, it's $150 an hour. I'm making it up. Okay, so how many clients would you need in order to quit your job? What if every person, instead of selling an hour, you sold a package of three hours? Okay, then you do the math and you're like, it's not that crazy. I would probably need it's not a big ask. 10 clients in the world for me to be able to have a substantial income from this. A profitable business. Yeah. It's like, and so the very first thing we need to do is take messy action. And as scary as it is, call up one human being, one who might want the cake pops, who might want us to organize their basement, who might be interested in the yoga class, one, and say, could I offer to do this thing for you for free just to get your feedback, to test, to validate? Oh, you liked it. Oh, you didn't like this. Oh, and then you ask them, have you ever tried anything like this? If you have, what did you like? What did you not like? And what would you pay for this? And you get their feedback. And then you do it again. You offer them a little more and, value. And, and would you pay for this again? And how much right. would you pay for it? Yeah. And then you start to build a business. It's actually, what I see is that number one, people really don't realize those simple steps to building a business. So what they do is they build they overthink backwards. It. Well, what they usually do before they overthink is they overthink all day and they say to themselves, okay, before I ever do this, I'm going to go buy a brick and mortar coffee shop before they've even sold one cup like, of coffee. They have an idea that they want to be, I love, you know what? I love coffee. I'm going to open up a coffee shop. Let me go rent a coffee shop instead of starting backwards and maybe having a little, like, let me brew my own coffee. Let's see if people like my coffee. See Start if I get people to buy on, my coffee. On a website. Yeah. Do yeah. a pop-up kiosk in front of the library at UCLA. Exactly. See if anybody's at interested. A at a street fair, right? Like see if people want that right. shit. Right. Like start exactly. with the validation. And then, yeah, you're right. What happens is we, we think it has to be big so we don't even begin. And then the second thing is we overthink it. So even once people know, okay, I have to go take this small step and reach out to this one woman or whatever, people just, 
they think themselves out of it. They say, no, because I'm going to look stupid or there's no way. Now, let me, let me flip it on its head. If you're starting out, let's say it's the first time you're going to photograph a wedding. And so you say to yourself, I'm not even going to put myself out there because I, I can't stack up next to the other photographers out there. What is the opposite response? What's the benefit for the bride to hire a photographer who's brand spanking new? The benefit is you're collaborative. The benefit is you are invested in her getting what she wants. Imagine if, imagine if you've taken a thousand weddings, right? So now not only are you not the photographer, cause you're going to send her one of the people who like works for course, you. So yeah. she's not going to get the quality. She's going to get someone who, you know, you hired underneath you fine. And then this woman's going to say, Oh, I'd really love you in the middle of the wedding to take a picture of me and all my bridesmaids and groomsmen. We're going to go into this little pond and throw confetti. And she's going to go, Oh, we don't do that. And we have a hard out. We have to be out by 3 PM. We have another wedding and you need to sign this contract versus let's say you're brand new and you say, all right, I don't have, right. I don't have 10 million testimonials, but I care so much. I'm going to bring an extra set of passions, bring in the passion, passion, fire, enthusiasm, energy, hustle, Like you fight for them to get every last photo they want. So are there drawbacks? Yeah. But are there pluses? Yeah. And I think that we have to stop overthinking ourselves to death because we're missing out on, on our whole life. And everyone's terrified. Like I remember every, everything I've ever done. I was like, why on earth are my, am I reaching out to this ad agency or to NBC right now? Of course I felt stupid, but I remember thinking to myself, am I going to let my fear stand in the way of what could be my whole life. Yeah, no, I love it. So I want, I want to pivot for a second because I was listening to the show with Ryan Holiday, which was, which was awesome. And yeah. he's talking about your husband uh, being a you know, professional for years and years, and he has a passion for comedy and pivoting into that. So how do you guide, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, like, what advice did you give to your husband to tell him to follow his passion in comedy? Because comedy is a little bit different, right? Because that is literally like you have to go to open mics and test yourself. And you may get what as a starting comic. If you're lucky, you'll get a couple of drink tickets and maybe exactly. maybe $100, right? Like, but like passions like that, like, is that a little bit of a stretch? Like on those type of professions? Like how do you guide people in a, for lack of a better question, like going down the artistic, more creative yeah, artistic, artistic Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same thing. Like I think that if somebody wants to be doing comedy or just singing, I would be like, well, how are you going to make money from that. Like who's paying you to do that right now? Right. So for him, I said to him, if you want to do that, you know, what, what are some of the ways that you can get paid to do it? Because that's a slow burn. Just like I'm going to go up and do open mics. So we talked about it. He's like, well, I guess I could write jokes for other comics. Like, Mm. yeah. Do you know how Kanye West started? He was writing beats for Jay-Z. That's correct. That's what you do. Lady Gaga was writing songs for other artists first. So he started applying himself and trying to figure out what, what are these late night writers? What do they need? And he, Mm -hmm. he asked some questions and found out there was a packet he needed to put together. And there were jokes and topical jokes and political jokes and things that were evergreen. And you would need to write the kind of sample monologues. And so he started to do that and get some and get some interviews and get some. And so he's on his path. He's on his path, but we'll see. I mean, it's only been a few months since he quit his job, but already he's happier than he ever was because he is doing more of what he loves. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second too. My wife talks about that all the time because she's, we're, we're actually celebrating tomorrow is our 10 year wedding anniversary. It's a, it's That's a awesome. huge, 
it's a huge day. And she's been with me. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like your partner's your rock, right? And if you're lucky enough to have a, a firm rock and she's been with me through the ups and downs, and she says, I've never been happier and I've never been a better husband, a better father because I'm happy in my career. And I don't have that stress on my shoulders of hating my job and not knowing my purpose and not what I'm doing. And it's really just opened me up to being better, such a better version of myself. And that's why I think it's so important about your work because it's not just helping the individual. It's that halo effect around that. It's helping your immediate family, your spouse, it's your true. kids, your community. Yeah. And, and that leads it to mental, like mental health too. I mean, everything that you're doing is really contributing um, you know, to mental health. Um, I, I want to go back to the podcast. I, mean, I know I'm kind of shifted gears for a little bit, but I do want to kind of circle back on the podcast. Um, what is that single focus, aha moment takeaway that you want someone to get from your show after they listen to it? I want people to know that they're needed and not to second guess themselves. And I don't think that you need to be, like I said, you don't need to be Wonder Woman. And it's not like someone taps you on the shoulder and goes, oh yeah, you're allowed to start a business. You're allowed to teach yoga. You're allowed to podcast because you're the one, you're the Messiah. If you're in this world, you are needed. And what is going to make you feel the most happy is not being happy it's purpose. And so all it really takes is 20 seconds of courage, 20 seconds of courage to be like, I'm publishing the blog post. I'm reaching out to this person. It's not about being the best at something. It's, am I available? We live in a time where there's an empathy deficit, there's loneliness. So you of course can add value if you want to open a bead night where you're going to help people put beads together or you want to do some poetry or you want to post a piece of content, do it. And if you follow your joy and if there's enthusiasm, that's when the opportunities come. That's when the doors yes. start to open. Everyone's Amen. building the engine while they're flying the plane. No one knows what the hell they're doing. And that's why the saying is that fortune favors the brave. Because little did I know when I started a podcast in my closet that it would lead to getting to meet all of these people and all of these opportunities and that we would have already sold almost 50,000 copies of this book, which came out three months ago. Like, I didn't know these things would happen. I still don't know what's happening. I, I, I have no way of knowing. I just show up every day and say, how can I be of use? And, and regarding the book, because I definitely want to talk about that for a moment there, why should somebody pick up your book and read it? This book is a way to legitimately come home to yourself. Our entire lives, we are being told a million things from the outside in. And we're not really feeling like we're in alignment with ourselves. We are told to speak when we're spoken to. A lot of times in our families, we were loved if we lived our life according to what our parents wanted for us, if we were the good kid, the helpful kid, the, we got the good or great or whatever we did, we're not really listening to ourselves. And so I think this whole idea of like a midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis is because people get to a certain age and they're like, I went to school, I got a degree. Why am I so unhappy? It's because you're not connecting to who you are and what you came to the world to do. And I think what this book does, I mean, I'm so passionate about this and I bring so many examples of it and I give so many tools that I think what happens by the end of the book, you go, I was put here 
to be me. And if I'm not, no one ever will be and no one ever was. Even twins have different fingerprints, which means there's something unique about me in this world. And I kind of know that. And I'm going to stop selling myself short and stop sitting it out because the number one regret of the dying is I didn't do what I came here to do. And so I think the book makes you feel like you're needed. It's possible. And then it starts to give you some tools of like, just do this one messy thing. And one other thing that I think happens- Take that first step. People are so scared to take that first step. One of, the things that I, one of the things I do in the book is I give people literally like write yourself a permission slip. Like you think about yourself at seven years old. Everyone can think about what they looked like. Like I can see myself with my two missing teeth. I can picture myself. Think about that kid and think to yourself, does that kid deserve permission to make something messy and just to begin and just to try. I believe that every person has genius, but we don't take messy action. If you go into a preschool, every kid loves to paint. Every kid loves to get messy, but they're not giving themselves the the hardest time because there's paint on their sleeves. They're letting themselves explore. And by doing that, we become masters of things. Remember that Serena Williams and Mozart and Fred Astaire and Andy Warhol and anybody they didn't begin that way. They gave themselves the grace to make mediocre things. They didn't put the pressure on themselves to be like, if by tonight I'm not the king of this, I'm done. That that's the problem. Like you need to allow yourself to make things and do things because all the answers and all the clarity and all the answers for what's next and where people, you're going to be led to it, like the game of hotter, colder, warmer, colder. Mm-hmm. If you just allow yourself to start and to make messy things, you're going to get led to where you can serve, how you can serve, and you'll learn that you have gifts that you never knew you had. Well, well freaking said, Kathy Heller. A couple <laughs> of questions that I love to ask every guest. Um, I believe in you know, this podcast to me, it, it serves me also as an ability to learn. I mean, I have amazing folks like yourself on and I can ask questions and get perspective. Kathy, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day? What is the single greatest advice I've ever been given that I take action on every single day? Hmm. What is the single greatest piece of advice? question. This commercial break is brought to you by Jeopardy. (laughs) Let me think. What's the single greatest piece of advice? Hmm. I mean, we've, 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 so many of the things that I just said were things that I picked up from other people and from doing things. And, and we've already kind of said it. And two of those things are this idea that we are needed, it's really important. Like I went to Jerusalem after college on a whim. I had never been there before. And I was supposed to be there for a couple of weeks and I wound up staying there for two and a half years and, and learning and, and kind of immersing myself in mysticism. And it was just incredible, like learning and growing as a person. And what I learned, I never knew growing up, which is that every, everybody loves gold and diamonds. 
because it's rare, right? It's a rare resource, so it, it costs more money. But the most rare thing in the world is an individual because your DNA, it's completely, it's completely unique, completely, completely, completely. And I don't think I really knew until I was there that we are each this unique needed piece of starlight, whatever you want to call it. We are, we are here for a very brief time and we are not the same as anyone else. Like my sister and I grew up in the same house. We're very different. Twins are very different. So you're each, we're each here to do something unique and to know that you're needed is very powerful. So I think, I think in a way that sent me off on my quest because I left there with this feeling of like, you know, when I Daniel Pink on the podcast, I said to Daniel Pink, how, how do we feel, you know, okay, selling whatever we sell because it feels like, who am I to sell this or put this out here? And he right. said, I'm so sorry. He said, if you do something that's going to make a difference in someone else's life, because you can paint something beautiful or you can make a smoothie or a piece of software, he said, I am so sorry for you, but you are morally obligated because that <laughs> was not given to you for you to keep to yourself. And so I think it's that, that piece of advice of like, this it. isn't about you. Like, this is about whatever you do that you're like, oh, am I, who am I to do this? That's all ego. That's all false humility. It's like, who are you not to do it? You're going to tell me that you know how to make people laugh and your whole life people have been saying you make them laugh and you're going to keep that to yourself. That's disgusting. That's, that's the flip of who am I to do this? Like, who are you not to do it? Who are you so not that, to do that? that that's been, if you can do something, even if it makes a difference for 17 people, cause your podcast connects with 17 people, but every week on Tuesday morning, that show comes out and 17 people continue. You see it. They continue to listen. Who are you not to do that? For? If you had 17 cars in front of your house, every Tuesday, people would go, what are you giving away? That's exactly. amazing. So that's we, we underestimate yeah. that and we, we flip it. And, and I don't think that the flip is really I don't think it's about us. I think we're all here to make something better for somebody else. 100%. And last but not least, Kathy Heller, you've been through the ups and downs in life. You've been on a crazy journey and you've been at the bottom when you thought you were at the top. You're on the side of the road thinking you're going to get a call that you were going to get signed that was going to change oh, yeah, that was bad. the trajectory on your life. And then looking, sitting here today, I mean, even in today's you know, world of uncertainty, what's happening, I mean, you look behind you, you got beautiful kids, a beautiful family. What do you look to to pull yourself up when you're down? And on the flip side of that, when you want to show gratitude, when you want to show and be thankful for everything that you've built, achieved, and everything around you, Kathy Heller, what is your North Star? I mean, my North Star, it's pretty simple. I mean, I very much believe in God, but I, I think God is a word that um, we have to define what we mean. You know, it's like saying snow to an Eskimo. There's 70 words for snow. So if you say snow, they're like, what the hell is that? We have 70 words for snow. Do you mean sleet, sludge? It's like, what are you talking about? So um, everybody has a different word for that. And for some people, it means this thing that's judging you constantly. And I don't know, people have all different kinds of meanings, but I know what it means to me, which is this thing I can't put my finger on. I can't see it. I don't know what it is, but I just... I 100% believe that there is a North Star, which is like 
something created. There was a be- we know that in science there was a beginning to time. It didn't always exist, and I feel that there is a a mission that we're all on to make the world more whole. And there's a guiding, loving force. And I feel it. And when you step into the flow, the synchronicity that occurs in your life to me is undeniable. And so it's sort of like the movie Star Wars, where it's like, you kind of like can feel there's like a choice that we're always making to choose the light or choose the darkness. And so that continuing to fight for that North Star and to choose the good, to choose to see the good. And I feel so grateful to that magical oneness, whatever you want to call it. I guess God is the word um, that gave me the gift to breathe in and out. And, and, um, and yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's, that's the short answer, but um, I feel extremely grateful. And, you know, we talked about my career journey and, and everyone's had a journey and my journey really was more about my journey as a kid. My parents had a horrible marriage, a horrible divorce. Um, we went through a really, really difficult time where there was so much anxiety and depression and violence and no money. And uh, I didn't have anything when I came out here. I didn't have emotional support or financial support. So I feel like everyone can relate to to having been through something and to having been through the darkness. But very often, if you step back and think about it, any movie we've ever seen, whether it's Rocky or Frozen, (laughs) any movie you've ever seen is about a person who does go through ups and downs. And so why would our lives be any different? And it's like, it's all kind of a test for us to continue to keep fighting for how we are supposed to show up in the world, how we're meant to serve, and, and to keep fighting for what other choice is there? I mean, because everyone's, there are it's no straight lines. There's no straight lines in nature. There, it doesn't exist. And there's no straight lines in business or in life. And, and I think that that's like the given. So it's sort of like, cool, how are we going to be with that? And that becomes really interesting. And, and, and I think it's really fulfilling too. Kathy Heller, this past hour has been extremely fulfilling for me. So thank you. I really, truly want to thank you for your, your generous gift of your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. And I really hope that we could use this opportunity for you and I to continue a dialogue. We'll take it offline. Some things I definitely want to chat about. Um, more importantly, Kathy, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more about Kathy Heller and your awesome um, podcast? All the Thank you. That's really, really kind. All the things. Don't keep your day job podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at kathy.heller. Uh, we have a Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group, which is free. People kind of talk a lot in there about what they're doing. And then at kathyheller.com, we built this awesome quiz on the homepage, which helps you figure out which one of those things you might be, awesome. maker, teacher, whatever. So, Everyone yeah. check it out. Cool. Thank good you. stuff. And Thanks I'm, I'm really excited. Me. Awesome. Likewise. And I'm excited to introduce you to my tribe and to everyone listening. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Please follow us on all the social media channels, you know, lick, 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 geez, don't lick anything in this day and age. Click subscribe, link, share, and remember, take your online and offline. Take care. Thank you. And have a great day, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.